If you're here tonight, 18 and up, I'd like for you to take one of these. This is um, our Discovering My Gifts uh, questionnaire. And um, I'm going to ask all of you, as you receive one of these, we'll be passing these out again Sunday for those that are not here tonight. A week from tonight, we're going to go through the answer. I'm going to give you the the answer material. This is not a test. Everybody listen carefully. This is not a test. You do not fail or pass on this. So I don't want anyone to think that, well, if I take this and fail, it's going to be real embarrassing. It's not that kind of a test. All you do is you go through and you answer each question by rating yourself from a zero through four. So if you feel like you're really good at what it's asking you, you'll do a four. If you don't feel like you're that good at that, then you do the the lower number, whatever. Listen very carefully. Do not, do not ask anyone else their opinion. This is for you to answer. If you get someone else's opinion, it's going to mess it up and it's not going to be accurate. You answer, you do this privately. You don't need your wife standing over your shoulder and saying, Oh, honey, you're not nearly that good. (laughs) Brother Gary, you do this privately. Oh, she would love. I heard you got left somewhere a long time ago, too. We'll talk about that after church. Didn't know Ashley had it in her. But the first page is um, the instructions. Follow them explicitly. Do not ask anyone else's input. You do this privately. And I would ask all of you, especially if you're in leadership here at Grace, doesn't matter what, if you have a title behind your name, especially, I'm going to ask you to do this. And uh, we're not going to point anybody out. We're not going to single anybody out next Wednesday night when we go through it. Um, so remember that please remember that and uh, take this very seriously it will if you've never done this before it's, it, it can be life changing not only in your relationship with God but in your marriage your home your job it's awesome and uh, so take your time go through it and uh, it'll be it'll be worth the journey uh, and thank you very much for that uh, in advance I want to continue our theme tonight uh, of dreaming when you're broken. And uh, last Wednesday night had to be one of the most powerful services we've had at Grace. I mean, it was God did some, two or three people have told me that God did some things for them that was just literally life-changing. And uh, so I'm going to ask you tonight to be open to the Word of God and whatever God wants to do here tonight, then we're going to let the Lord have his way. And everybody say amen. amen. <clears throat> in our, we, this is our third lesson in the first Bible study of dreaming when you're broken. Our word for that Bible study was to realize. Everybody say realize. Our scripture setting was Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The principle of realization is to realize that I am not God. 
I, I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and my life is unmanageable. Then last week we talked about hope. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 4, Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The second principle, and we discussed it last Wednesday night, was to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. It says, Dreaming when you're broken. Tonight, I want to talk to you for a little while about consciously decide. To consciously decide. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Our third principle that we'll discuss tonight is to consciously decide to commit all of my life and will to Christ. Care and control. Our scripture setting tonight will deviate a little bit from the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Jesus said, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There was a pet store delivery truck was going down the road, and at every stoplight, the driver would jump out of the truck, run to the back of the truck, grab a two-by-four, and start beating the side of the truck. Nobody could figure out what he was doing, so finally somebody asked him, What are you doing? He said, Well... This is only a two-ton truck, can only carry two tons, and I have four tons of canaries in it. So I have to keep two of them in the air at all times. <clears throat> you ever feel like that's kind of the way your life is? You're overloaded, and you just have to keep beating the side of life and keep stuff up in the air. It's trying to live life in this crazy, abstract balancing act so that it don't come crashing down on you at some point. We have a tendency to get stuck in life. We get stuck in a relationship that's going nowhere. We get stuck with habits we can't break. We get stuck in the cycle of grief. We get stuck in anger, in work, etc., then when you can't get out of it, you enter into a cycle that is called the downward spiral. It compounds, and life just continually gets worse. And you finally reach the point where you're just learning every day how to cope with life. So you get stuck in the same kind of problem. You feel guilty that you're stuck, you feel angry that you can't change, you get fearful that you'll never be able to change, you feel depressed and focus on feeling sorry for yourself, and whatever you focus on just keeps repeating, and then you get stuck even further. So how do you break out of being stuck? Listen to pastor very carefully. It's not enough just to know that God will help you. 
at some point, you have to take action. You have to do something. You have to pick up one foot and put it in front of the other at some point. You have to make a decision to step out of this vicious cycle that you're in. So this step is based on what Jesus said in our text, and I'm going to give you my version of it. Come unto me, all ye that labor, all of you who are weary, all of you that are overburdened. And he said, I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So Jesus says, I will make your life easier. I will lighten your load. You will have relief. You'll have release. You'll have rest. You'll have rejuvenation. Give me control and care of your life and watch what I'll do with it. That's what Jesus is essentially saying. When you do that, Life gets so much easier and so much less stressful. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. It sounds like a real good deal, as a matter of fact. Why would anybody want to turn that deal down? Yet some of you here tonight have heard this before and you've never acted on it. It's like somebody giving you a gift and you never open it. You never take the wrapping off of it. God says, I've given you this gift, you've done nothing about it. And there's people here tonight that have been given that gift and you've done nothing about it. There's people here tonight that's been given that gift and you've done nothing about it. So what keeps us from doing something about it? What prohibits us from letting go? Now, I'm going to talk about five things that we're all very familiar with. But I have no intentions tonight of this being generic. I've come tonight to talk to everybody in this building, including me. I want a dream, and I want everybody to understand that you don't have to be living a perfect lifestyle and all your ducks in a row to be a dreamer. You can dream when you're broken. But I want you to become a person that knows who you are, that can be happy in your skin, comfortable in your skin to recognize my strengths and my weaknesses, and to ultimately be the kind of person that God has called me and made me to be. So what keeps me from letting go? What keeps me from letting God give me that rest, that deliverance, that, that motivation to move forward? What holds me back? Number one, first and foremost, is pride. Everybody say pride. In Proverbs 18, verse 12, the Bible is very clear on the byproducts of pride. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty or proud, and before honor is humility. One translation said, no one is respected unless he is humble, and arrogant people are on their way to ruin. Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating or babbling fool shall fall. (laughs) 
If you're not ready to give control of your life to the Lord, I'm not speaking to new converts tonight, and I very well understand that. I've, not, I've been in Pentecost all of my life, 57 years. Received the Holy Ghost a little, almost 45 years ago. This isn't my first rodeo. There's Pentecostal people that have served God, have, have had the baptism of the Holy Ghost, to say it that way, for years. But they've never fully come to their purpose. The will and purpose of God has never really been done in their life. I can stand here and name people that I know one right after another. They're terrified to step out on faith. You know why a lot of people aren't really comfortable with this church? It's because we challenge you too much. We make you stretch your brain too much. People aren't comfortable with that. I want to go somewhere, as my daughter-in-law says sometimes, where I can be tatad. You poor little darling. I know life has been so hard, and Jesus will be with you. And that's as far as they ever get. That drives me insane. I'd rather just go beat my toenails with a hammer. I don't know where that came from, but it sounded good at the moment. Got the point across. We'll tie-tie you for a while. But after a while, you've got to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and let's move forward with life and purpose and meaning and identity and get comfortable in your own skin and know who you are and know what God wants you to do. That's the point. For God to make you, you're made in His image. Do you think Jesus sat around for three and a half years on this planet being tatted by people? He came to manifest a purpose, and He did manifest that purpose. He accomplished that purpose. He did what He came to do. And you and I need to understand that that's our reason for being here. It's a very strong purpose. So if you're not ready, listen to Pastor. People never get this in Pentecost. Why is it that we find so much comfort in singing old traditional hymns that talk about our trials and our temptations and our pain and our heartache and our suffering? We talk about that and, when, and, we, and, and the, the climax of the song is when Jesus comes and tatas us. I apologize tonight. It's just, it is what it is. We love testimony songs because it gives us a platform to express how the devil has been on our back all week long, bless his holy name, and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come in at some point. I'm not beating none of that up, but there's far more to living for God than that. So, listen, Pentecostals, who struggle so hard at this lesson of pride, if you're not ready to give control of your life to God, maybe you need a greater, greater dose of pain. Maybe you need another trial. Maybe you need some hardship, and maybe that hardship needs to be a little bit worse than the last hardship. Is anybody following me here tonight? It's easier just to go ahead and say, Yes, Lord, God will gladly allow anything to happen to you that will get your attention. Because he'll use that to make you a better person. To build character in you. To have you understand your purpose. And we don't get the trial thing. The trial is not for you to be tested. And then pass the test and go back to what you've done, always been doing. 
You know, it's like the people, and it, it's, it's not in any way, shape, or form humorous, but kind of in the way it is. Sorry about that. But it's these people that have open-heart surgery, and I've known several people. God delivered me from open-heart surgery. That, that hurts real bad, and they have to saw your sternum. Just, they get a Black & Decker skill saw out of somebody's shed and just fire that thing right through that bone, and they pull that your ribs apart like that and they take your heart out and play around with it and put it back in there and hope everything comes out all right. <laughs> it is right. And these people come out of the hospital with that little pillow shaped like a heart because when you cough, they said it hurts like crazy. And if you hold that up against you, it kind of helps a little bit and they have that little heart pillow and now all of them get them. And for the next year, buddy, every ounce of food of every category is weighed and measured for cholesterol and sugar and how much protein and how much vitamin. And by God, we're going to start walking 28 miles a day. We're going to walk to work. We're going to walk to church. We're going to walk to Walmart. We're walking everywhere. And we're going to stay. And that goes for about a year. I know a man tonight, know him very well. I was at the hospital with him as pastor twice with him dying of a heart attack and them running that little wire up your vein and they turn around a little bit and put a little plastic straw in there called a stent to open them arteries up. And I've gone to lunch with him and I've watched him eat squash and broccoli for about the first year. And after that, we're back to the cheeseburgers and we're back to the steak. My point is, and you get the point, is we never learn. And we keep repeating. And people say, and I've said this church many, many times. People said, I've had the Holy Ghost 25 years, okay? Have you really had the Holy Ghost 25 years and you developed that 25-year-long relationship with God? Or have you had the Holy Ghost one year 25 times? Now, I can say I've been in school for 12 years, but I could be repeating the first grade 12 times. There's a big difference between the two. God, folks, intends for you to grow. He wants you to move forward with your life, with your purpose, with your desires, with your dreams. And circumstances and situations and people and attitudes can't control that. God has to be in control of your life. People say, well, he is. Is he? I'll ask that question again in a few minutes. Just hang tight. The second thing that holds us back from moving forward in our relationship with God next to pride is guilt. <clears throat> the Bible said in Psalm 40, verse 12, For innumerable evils have compassed me about, my iniquities have taken hold on me so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails me because I'm such a rank sinner. And we feel guilty. We'll expound on scriptures like this, but forget about the scripture that says there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There's other scriptures I can, I can read. Is anybody here tonight, do you ever get ashamed, and don't raise your hand, 
But answer in your heart, are you ever ashamed of all of your broken promises you've made to God? How many times have we come down here in repentance and said, God, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. I'll, I'll, I've lied my last time. I'm not going to do that again. I've cursed my last time. I'm not going to do that again. We do that over and over in broken promises. And sometimes you reach a point, and the longer in Pentecost you are, you, you reach it, you're almost embarrassed to even ask God to forgive you for anything else. Especially when you've already asked Him 400 times over the same thing. And so if we feel guilty. I want to remind everybody here tonight. Peter asked Jesus that question, how many times in a day should I forgive somebody? Seven? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. If he requires that of man, what does he have the potential of doing? God forgives sin. The Bible said he is faithful and just to forgive sin. When you ask him, it doesn't specify how many times. You ever wonder what God does with your sins? You ever wonder what God does with your sin? In John 1.29, the Bible said he takes them away. In Hebrews 10.17, the Bible said he forgets. In Isaiah 1, he washes them away. In Isaiah 43, he blots them out. In Isaiah 44, he wiped them out like a cloud. In Isaiah 55, he pardoned them. In Micah 7, he buried them in the depths of the sea. God don't forgive you of your sin and hold them in some little bank somewhere so he can throw them back at you when you mess up again. We have to get rid of the guilt thing. I'm a child of God. God made me. I'm willing to accept my image that he made me in, which is his. I'll accept my weaknesses. I'll accept my strengths. And I'm going to try to be better every day. And if I fail, I'm coming right back. And after that, if I fail again, I'm going to come back again. And if I fail again, I'm going to come back again. I'm just going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep coming back until God makes me a better person. We can't allow guilt to control us. The third thing that happens to us, that prevents us from being what God wants us to be, is fear. I'm terrified. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We're terrified at what we might have to give up. We're terrified at what we might have to quit doing. We're terrified at what we might have to take on. We're terrified by what we may have to start doing. We're terrified by these things. It's kind of like the man who fell off the cliff and grabbed a branch halfway down and he cries, somebody help. He hears a voice. It's a voice of God. It said, this is God. Trust me, let go of the branch. The man looks down at about 500 feet to the ground. Looks around and says, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> That's the way we, we process. If God offers to help, we oftentimes don't like what he offers because we're scared of it. I think it's a tragic thing for people to be afraid of the will of God for your life. It's tragic for people to be afraid of the purpose of of your life. It's, it's tragic for people to say, I, I'm afraid to be what, what God is pulling me to be. I'm afraid I can't do it. Sometimes it's hard to let go. So, 
This is what I want you to consider tonight. What is it that you're afraid of if you give control of your life to God? Now, I'm going to tree something right here in every one of us. We all reek with this. You'll excuse that word. You may say, I don't want anybody controlling my life. I'm not going to have anybody controlling my life. Are you kidding me? Do you realize what has been controlling your life since you've been on this planet? You're being controlled all the time by something. There's people here tonight that's under the total and complete control of the opinions of other people. Huh? That is true. We are so terrified, and young folks especially, they call it peer pressure. But I am terrified to really step out and launch and do what I want to do and be what I want to be because all my friends are going to make fun of me and they're going to laugh at me and they're going to think I'm stupid. But you can take that up every level and strata of life that you want to go. We're all controlled by something. And so if we're not controlled by the opinions of other people, does anybody here tonight feel like you're controlled by the hurts that you can't forget? There's people in this room tonight that's terrified to step out in faith and be what God wants you to be even though you may know what it is because you're afraid you're going to get hurt if you do. Well, I trusted a preacher one time. I trusted that other church that other time. And I'll never do that again. So you're not controlled by nothing? You think you're in control of your life? That hurt that you experienced however many years ago controls you every day that you live. And every thought you think and every verse of Scripture you read and every prayer that you pray goes through the filter of that hurt. And it holds you back. And you say, I can never be a dreamer. I can never climb that ladder. I can never come outside of my tent. You didn't hear that message, Sonny. You need to go on our webpage, ASAP, and listen to it. I think it's already posted. You're terrified to do that because I can't surrender control of my life to God. But you'll let hurt control you. You'll let the opinions of others control you. How about a habit? If I really start being what God wants me to be, then I've got this habit, man, that I just can't drag along. But you say nothing is going to control your life when opinions do, hurts do, habits do. Even your own hang-ups do. I'm going to be as nice as I can be here. And you're looking at brother hang-up right here, so I feel like I have a license to do this. Buddy, I've talked to people in the past that are just, they make my brain tired. Oh, buddy, they're more hung up than a tree full of monkeys, man. I, they're more hung up in the clothes in their closet. <clears throat> That'll tweet right there, baby. You can tweet that one. <laughs> Weird stuff, man. No, I, I can't step out for, for God, and I can't, I, I, I can't pray, and I can't be faithful to church, and I can't be what God wants me to be because my husband will make fun of me. Really? That's it? 
What about God being not happy with you? Does that have any effect or impact or whatever? You get the point. And I could belabor that point here for a long time. But you'd be surprised if you're honest. You look in the mirror tonight when you get home and you ask yourself, what is controlling me? What am I allowing to control me? And maybe that's why God isn't. It could be anything. So this little package that Jesus gives you and, 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 and offers you in our text tonight, come unto me all ye that labor and all that, he knows you have all this junk controlling you. He knows all this junk's going on in your life and you have all these hang-ups and mindsets and perspectives and opinions and ideas and notions and beliefs about the Bible that half of them aren't true and all of this stuff going on in your head and you say, God ain't going to control me. I'm in control of my life. Are you really? Here's the beauty about this whole principle is God lets you choose what's going to control you. You're the, you're the pilot behind the wheel. You're the one in control of that. You choose. You choose. Real freedom is choosing who your master will be. So what are you afraid of? Is saying yes to God more fearful than that habit that's controlling you? That hang-up that's controlling you. That hurt that's controlling you. The people in your life that may be controlling you. Freedom is choosing who controls you. Freedom is choosing what controls you. So, when you take this step and say, I'm going to let God take control of my life. I hope our young folks are getting their head around what I'm teaching tonight. And I'm so thankful they're in here tonight. When you take this step and you give up everything and then you suddenly, you realize that once God has it, when God has your life, when God has your heart, when God has your mind, things never seem so good. It's because God takes what you've given Him, He turns it around, and then He begins to add meaning to it. He begins to add significance to it. He starts adding vitality to it. He gives it back to you. He gives you your life back in a whole new way to where you really can't wait to wake up tomorrow and you really can't wait to see whose life you're going to impact tomorrow and you really can't wait until you can, till tomorrow to see what God's going to do next. And Does anybody want to live like that or would you rather live under the control of an opinion or a hurt or a peer pressure, or uh, all of these things, even your own ego for crying out loud. I know people that are just so stubborn and hard-headed, their ego won't let them step out and do what God wants them to do. But God, give God that proverbial blank check and just say, God, here's my life, and let Him take care of it. The fourth thing, and i got to hurry, that keeps us from being what God wants us to be is worry. Everybody say worry. Y'all ever read the pastor's Facebook post? All I put on Facebook is things that make you, inspire you, challenge you, whatever. Put a little quote on there today. Somebody said, it said, uh, worry is a down payment on a problem that may never happen. Just worrying in advance for nothing. Well, I'm just worried to death somebody's going to break into our house. Well, just wait till it happens and then worry about it. I'm worried to death I'm going to get hit by a car tomorrow. I'm worried to death I'm flying to somewhere and my plane's going to crash. You're making a down payment on something that 
has yet to happen. Worry can hold you back. Peter said in his epistle, cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. I want to introduce a concept to you tonight. Try to get your head around it. Sometimes in life, we confuse the decision-making process with the problem-solving process. We confuse making decisions with solving problems. And, that's, oh, and I'm, t- I'm teaching tonight to consciously decide. Sometimes we confuse life with the decision-making phase with the problem-making phase. So some of you may remember either hearing or reading. Maybe some of you remember it being said. As a matter of fact, I do. I'm old enough to, barely old enough to remember it. 1963, when John F. Kennedy announced publicly, we are going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. How many remember that in history? Two? Dear me. Hannah, you just graduated from college, and you don't remember that? Everybody raise your hand. It just make me feel better. Just raise your hand. Look at all these people who remember that. Man, that is amazing. Boy, y'all are just, whew. Okay, for those, how many remember that John F. Kennedy used to be our president? Let's start there. That'd be a good place to start in history lesson. Y'all remember that he was assassinated? Okay, very good. Leah even has been taught that in school, so that's awesome. School's not a total waste. (laughs) Said, we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. This was actually a challenge to the Soviet Union. It was a race to the moon to see who could get a man on the moon first. That was the decision. I have decided, the president said, that the United States of America is going to put a man on the moon in 10 years. That is a decision. Everybody say decision. When he made that decision, was all the problems automatically solved? Not by a long shot. As a matter of fact, nobody even really gave it a whole lot of thought until he made that decision. If you're a good manager, you know you never confuse decision-making with problem-solving. If you confuse them, you'll never make the decision. I hope everybody's listening to me tonight. I'm doing my best to communicate. If you confuse... Problem solving with decision making, you will never, ever make a decision. You, whatever decision you make is going to come in a little package that's going to have problems in it. But that's the beauty of making the decision because now you're in control of it. Not peer pressure, not opinions, not hurts, not all of those things, not habits. You're in control. God is in control. I've made a decision. You sing a song years ago, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I know a pastor, I have a pastor friend, that when he baptizes people, he gives them a t-shirt to wear down into the water. It's their baptismal robe, if you will, that says, I decided. I made a decision. I made a decision, and I'm going to stick to that decision. I am not going to stray to the right hand nor to the left. 
I'm not going to let people's opinions, ideas affect me anymore. I'm not going to be impacted by the hurts of the past. I'm not going to be affected by my own ego and so on. I have made a decision. And that whatever problems that decision brings to me, I will handle them as they come, giving them to Jesus, and He can work them out. Folks, if you want to do something for God, you can't sit around and look at all the problems it's going to create. If you want to do something with your life, you can't just sit around and look at all the problems it's going to create. At some point, you have to bow up and make a decision and say, By God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. I try not to say this publicly, but privately, and sometimes to Sister Murph, this is what I say. And she don't like it. But I do, and it properly demonstrates what I'm trying to say to me. By God, come hell or high water, sink or swim, this is what we're going to do. I've done that a few times in my house. I've done that a few times with this church. The help of God. Come hell or high water, I have decided. That's the way it's going to be. And you're looking at one hard-headed dude, man. I feel like one of the... I'll talk to you after church. I feel like one of the greatest attributes a person can have in a relationship with God is being hard-headed. When you're hard-headed for the right reason, it's an awesome thing to have. Amen. My daughter, Casey, we go just about equal and being hard-headed. When we disagree, it gets really complicated. <clears throat> Have you ever bought a house? How many of you here has bought a house? Thank goodness, a little better ratio than the John F. Kennedy story I just told. <laughs> but at some point, your realtor, or if you're buying a FISBO for sale by owner, those of you from the parish the west of us, Fizbo is for sale by owner. Y'all still had not caught that, never mind. But at some point, if it's a realtor showing you the house, or you went and looked at it, and the owner of the house has showed you that house. You talk to your spouse, whoever, y'all call the people up and say, we have decided to buy that house. Now, you know there's going to be problems. You have other decisions that you'll have to make. But there's going to be some problems. You have to worry about financing. You're going to have to worry about down payments. You're going to have to worry about interest rate, flood zone, insurance, upkeep, a new lawnmower, whatever. New appliances. Women sometimes will do that. Well, honey, if we buy a new house, I've got to have a new washer and dryer. It's funny that that washer and dryer you have has worked for the past 20 years, but all of a sudden with a new house it don't work no more. But bottom line, and you get the point, you sign the dotted line, if you will, and you make a decision. And when the mortgage company calls and says, okay, well, we didn't anticipate this, and they do an abstract on the house, and you find that there's some contractor that did work years ago, and he wasn't paid, and he followed a lien on it. All that has to be worked out. But you agreed! When you sign the bottom line, this is what we're going to do. And at some point, if you ever become the occupants of that house, you had to decide that we're going to buy it. Now that's a simple illustration. It is amazing how we can decide to buy a house. We can decide we're going to buy a car. We can decide we're going to go into business. 
We can decide we're going to go into college. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care about all them other factors. I don't care about my hurts, my past failures. But when it comes to Jesus, can't do it. Never have understood that. People have made outlandish decisions and done crazy things. I've known of people who have gone so far as to throw their life away, throw their marriage away, throw their family away over a stupid decision that was boneheaded and everybody on the planet told them not to do it and they did it anyway. I don't care what anybody else thinks. When it comes to Jesus, can't do it. There's all kind of things that hold us back. Sister Sheila, almost 45 years ago, this August will be 45 years ago, I made the decision to give Jesus a control of my life. Sometimes I've tried to take it back. I'll be honest about it. And now 45 years after the fact, periodically, Brother Gary, I send out, figuratively speaking, little notes that I don't do that no more, and I'm not going there anymore, and I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm not going to say that no more, and I'm not going to act like that no more. Just because I made the decision didn't take all the problems out of the equation. But for the past 45 years, everywhere I've been and everything I've done, good or bad, happy or sad, sink or swim, it doesn't matter. He has not just been with me. He's been in me. I'll never forget. It's funny. When I wanted to be a home missionary, God didn't want me to be a home missionary. And when God wanted me to be a home missionary, I didn't want to be a home missionary. I ran from the ministry for 10 years because God wouldn't give me my way. Back then, I wanted to start a church. I wanted to go to North Carolina and start a church. I told Brother Tenney, like a fool, when I was being approved for my local license in ministry, what do you want to do with your ministry? I'd like to go to North Carolina, and that's an awesome thing to tell your district superintendent. Well, why, what's wrong with Louisiana? Stupid. No, it was pretty dumb. <clears throat> and he told me, you can go wherever you want to go, but you'll be back. I get angry sometimes when I see him and say, you know what? The old coot was right. <laughs> I hope he don't listen to this. <clears throat> but I'll never forget, I was sitting, we'd come down for a wedding. It was Hannah's mom and dad before she was born, got married. That was a good thing. Glad they waited till. anyway. I was came home for Patty and Troy's wedding, and... Uh, I'd literally gotten fired as an assistant pastor. Literally got fired. And I accused of something I didn't do. Felt like the convict in prison. You know, they're all innocent. I was innocent. I've never been able to praise them. But anyway, God wanted me to go to Youngstown, Ohio, and start a church, and I didn't want to go. I called, I don't know how many districts, to see if they had a church open that I could pastor. I had no income. I'd gotten fired. That was it. And uh, we came down to Louisiana on a shoestring from Ohio to uh, be at Patty and Troy's wedding. And I had nowhere to go in ministry. I had no places lined up to preach. I gave them, given all that up. God wanted me to go there, and I didn't want to go. And I called Louisiana. I called Missouri. I called North Carolina. I called a bunch of districts. District superintendent, presbyters, no churches were open. I'm like, you're kidding. There's always a church open somewhere. Every door I tried closed. Went to bed that night, tossed and turned, tossed and turned, 
finally got up and uh, I went in the, in the bathroom. It was at uh, Sister Bunch's house. And I sat down on the side of the bathtub and I buried my face in a hand towel and just started sobbing. Say, God, please don't make me do this. Please don't. And I just, it felt like my prayers was hitting the ceiling and falling right down on top of my head. Finally, I took that rag out of that hand towel out of anger and I threw it to the floor and I jumped up to my feet and I said, okay, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. And I was real angry about it. Being very serious here and I'm very transparent. I don't care. That's what you want, fine. And as soon as I said that, it's like the whole world became a whole new place, man. I'm not kidding you. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being evangelistic. Everything changed. A load lifted off of me that you can't imagine. I woke up the next morning feeling like my feet were two inches off the floor. And I told Sister Murph, I decided. I decided. We're going to Youngstown to start a church. She was behind me 100%. And we did. When you make a decision to launch into the will and purpose of God, you'll be surprised at how the world looks so much better. Christian life, living the Christian life, is a decision that you make that is followed by a process. And we get that so confused and misunderstood and what have you. Christian life is a decision followed by, by a process. It is the same with recovery after you're saved. It is a decision followed by a process. And bottom line tonight, we're talking about decision. And you reach a point where you just simply do it. You throw the hand towel down, you jump to your feet, and you look up, God's up. I've made up my mind, this is what I'm going to do. A lot of us here tonight are like the proverbial turtle on the top of a fence post. You just keep going around the circle. Because you can't make a decision. Philippians 1.6, and I'm closing. Being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Real quickly here tonight, in World War II, the Marines had a definite strategy they used in the Pacific when they went to retake it from the Japanese. They used the same strategy on every island. It worked every time. First, they'd go to that island, and they'd, they'd start bombing it. They'd just hit it with bombs, and it's called a softening up period. Some of you here tonight are in the softening up period right now, and all kinds of explosions are going off around your life, and you finally come to a point where you say, yes, I need help behind, beyond myself, and God is softening up. Your pride, your fear, your worry, all of those things, and you're making a decision. Make a long story short, back to the World War II story. Eventually, the Marines would establish a beachhead. Just get a little part of that island that they could control, and then they would go from there and ultimately take it over. God is trying to establish a beachhead in all of our lives here tonight. And at some point, if you're really going to be happy and meet God's purpose, you have to decide. You have to conscientiously decide. God, it's your way. It's your way. The fifth thing is doubt. And I'm not going to spend any time on this point, but Nathan, if you'll throw this, the next slide up after doubt. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, what you need to understand tonight, what every one of us needs to understand, it's not the quantity of faith you have that's important. 
It's how big your God is. In your mind, how big is God? Is he big enough to take control of your life? So how do you let go? You accept Christ's sacrifice for your salvation. Remember the word believe in the Bible in Acts 16. Peter told the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The word believe means to be committed. When's the last time you had eggs and bacon for breakfast? The hen was involved in that process. The pig was committed. Believing on Jesus is not just faith-based. It's commitment-based. You have to do what the Bible tells you to do. You have to accept the Word of God as your standard for living. You don't just live it at church. You live it every day, every day, every day. You accept God's will as my goal in life. Number four, you accept God's power is my strength. Paul said, I can do all things. Somebody said, real, real willpower is my willingness to accept God's power. Will power. My will, his power. Put together. Let me conclude on this as you stand with me tonight. When pilots fly airplanes, they fly either by uh, IFR or VFR. IFR stands for Instrument Flight Rules. VFR stands for Visual Flight Rules. Every pilot is flying by one or the other. VFR or Visual Flight Rules is fine as long as you can see everything. If it's clear weather, if it's not a lot of tra- air traffic. But sooner or later, if you fly long enough, you're going to eventually hit bad weather. And then you have to decide to call the control tower and tell them, I need to switch to IFR or I have to begin to use my instruments. I have to submit to the plane's computer. All airlines, all airlines fly IFR. All pros fly IFR. But a lot of amateurs that want to show off and show they can do it, they'll fly the visual flight rules. FAA has said that a lot of small plane crashes could have been prevented if the pilot in the cockpit had just simply picked up the microphone and said, I need help. Can't do it. Just something about human nature that don't want to call out, that don't want to admit I'm weak. There's something about human nature that says, I just can't admit that I'm not sufficient in and of myself to do what needs to be done. And we don't want to call on help. What we don't realize in our whole big effort to control our own life is there's a thousand things that do control us, and we just don't surrender ourselves to the control of Christ. If you want to become a dreamer, put your life in Him. Give Him control of your life and start dreaming. There's been a number of people that's already turned in dreams. You can see some up on the the, the pallets tonight. There's other people here tonight that, that had dreams. Even as we began, dream big. 
and those dreams have already come to pass. You know what happens? It's sooner or later they decide, and I'm going to commit to the purpose that, in life that God has for me. And I'm going to let him start calling the shots in my life. And when you do, things just summarily begin to fall in place. Things start happening. God starts moving incredibly in your life. I'm not preaching a pipe dream tonight. This is Bible. I've given you a lot of scripture for what I'm preaching tonight. So I want to ask everybody here tonight to accept the idea that you can dream even when you're broken. But whatever it is that has broken you, there's a way out of it. You can be better. You can be healed. You can have God do some awesome things in your life. Put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you if it's appropriate. And let's pray for one another right now. Father, tonight I come to you in your great name. You have seemingly unleashed a power and an anointing in this church over the past several weeks and months. People are stepping out to do things they've never done, believing things that they, they never thought they could believe in, doing things they thought they could never do. And I pray tonight that you would take this faith, this effort, this commitment, and help people to consciously decide that this isn't just going to be a short three-month period in my life where I do this. It's not going to be just for the next year. But God, it's going to become a lifestyle that I'm going to consistently put my life into your hands. And if I pull back, I'll repent and I'm going to put it back. I want my life in your hands. I want my future in your hands. I want you to guide my footsteps. You've already been to my tomorrow, and you know what waits for me around the next bend. And God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to, I'm going to fight this battle in myself, and I'm going to consciously decide tonight to give it all to you. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to quit fighting. I'm going to let you have it. You're going to have your will in my life. It's going to be done in my life no matter what. The opinions of others, the hurts of the past, none of those things are going to bother me anymore. I'm going to launch into my purpose, into my dream. And I'm going to watch you, God, as you guide my footsteps. Bring peace and happiness to my life, to my mind and spirit. I pray tonight, God, that everybody in this room would engage this awesome opportunity. Help us to live in it, to walk in it, to be it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Before you leave tonight, Brother Gary would like to meet with as many as possible Saturday morning at